0: Hi everybody and Happy New Year! You have found the video, the extended interview, the full interview that I um, conducted with TV director Charles Bastian. Now for me, I really knew Charles from his work on the cancelled animated 90s Canadian Doctor Who series. That's right, when Doctor Who was cancelled by the BBC in the late 1980s, it was left up to a Canadian animation studio to try and revive the show for a whole new audience. Now, without spoiling anything, that didn't get off the ground, but Charles played a big role in the production side of that, and it was really interesting to talk to him about the design of the characters, and even a few unknown story details that would have been seen within the series. Charles is also a director on the hugely successful television show Paw Patrol. He's also worked on other kids' shows, such as Mike the Knight, and some of you might even know his work from some Star Wars spin-off stuff, Droids and Ewoks. Okay, so my first question is: How much guidance were you given when it came to the design of these characters? Because there must be some guidance, I imagine, from the studio. But then they hire you for certain reason because they must like your work.
1: Well, I was at Novana for quite a while before this started. Um, I'd worked on uh, the Lucasfilm Ewoks and Droids uh, projects and other shows. And so the management just basically asked me to do uh, development work for the show. Yeah. And uh, I, at first there was not, not much guidance, just basically do whatever you want. And then, uh, and then some executives would pipe in later with like, let's I like this one. Let's do this, you know, mix this with this, that kind of direction. Right. Yeah. And, until it got to some, got to, I guess, a some kind of, uh, I guess it must have gotten to some kind of approval so that we could move ahead at one point or another. Yeah. Was, mm. you,
0: was you familiar with the show beforehand? Because I imagine at this point it hadn't really made its mark overseas. It was still quite very much a British show.
1: Oh, no, it's been here for a long time. Uh, oh, great. The CBC in Canada ran it. And yeah. the CBC actually uh, ran it for quite a while and when the BBC started erasing tapes. Yeah. They had to come back to us because we uh, we had the stuff that they had lost. So oh, wow. the CBC actually had, and the CBC had it in color, and a lot of the stuff that Britain only had in black and white. So, so uh, no, I'd been on for quite a while. I'd watched uh, a lot of the John Pertwee, and then the um, uh, wow Mental Block, Tom Baker, Tom Baker. Tom Baker. Yeah, I should have known that because my wife made me a scarf that I should have worn. Uh, no way! So... like a twelve. 12- well, I've got a twelve-foot-long scarf. Like it. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, would you say you would you say you're a fan of the show then?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I am a fan of the show, but uh, you know, nowadays it's just finding the time yeah. to do it. Like I, I watched through uh, several of the newer Doctors, but not the latest. You know, I've got uh, uh, I, I haven't seen from Capaldi on, but I was yeah. watching prior to that, so. Uh, yeah, I've always been a fan of the show, so it was kind of a great thing to work on at the time. Being thirty years younger and thirty years geekier than I am now,
0: so <laughs> you mentioned um, Tom Baker there, and I was looking at some of some of your artwork, and there are there are two distinctive different types of doctors that you designed. There's a more traditional scientific one, and sort of uh, what would we, we would sort of know to become a more David Tennant sort of younger, more dramatic style, sort of, with a long brown coat as well, I noticed. Um, How come there was two different, sort of, quite different looks there?
1: Uh, Well, it was just exploring. Uh, There was a bit of the Baker stuff in there. I had one guy with a hat and a scarf. And then the other ones were just going off on tangents. And uh, one was almost a Peter O'Toole type Mm. of looking character with the flat cap. And, uh, and then others was a mishmash of things that were, you know, producers would say, "Give me this, with this, and add this, and put it with this," right? And then it became a hybrid thing, right? Yeah. I liked my Peter O'Toole one with the big watch. He was my favorite one. So. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I I, but, I, was, uh, yeah. I looked online
0: and there was a lot of comparisons to actors like Christopher Lloyd from Back to the Future and and Jeff Goldblum <laughs> as well. Did those did those types of actors play an influence in your work, or is that just a total coincidence?
1: That's just that's just people online. Like I think Peter Peter O'Toole was in there for sure. Uh, I even I would have gone. There might have been a bit of Pierce Brosnan in there in some of them, uh, but uh, is, well, the other things were later. If you think about it, it was thirty years ago, so they weren't an influence at the time, right? Yeah, so, it was quite a while ago. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I sort of read online that the, the studio seemed quite keen to get the show going. It seemed like once they, the BBC were keen on it, the ball really started rolling on it quite quickly. What was that process like? Was it? I imagine it was quite exciting. You say, like as a fan of the show, thirty years younger, thirty years geekier, to be asked to be involved in this. I imagine it was very exciting.
1: Yes, it was great, and it was going like we were into it. Uh, several scripts in, and there were several storyboards in. So the production had actually started. Wow. And then it just vanished on us. So, yeah, it was disappointing. But,
0: Can you remember uh, any the least, of the sort of storylines then?
1: That one, the one I do remember is it had to do with uh, some kind of mining base on some planet somewhere. And there was these giant mining machines and they were mining for something, but it was all a cover operation by the Daleks. But they were uh, breeding a whole new batch of... Daleks different versions of them like uh like tank style Daleks and other Daleks they were going to make a big comeback it was all being hidden under this mining operation that's that's about all I can remember about that
0: (laughs) it does sound interesting because I was looking at some of the artwork and there's definitely redesigns in there The, the only thing really that seems to have stayed pretty much the same was the TARDIS was there any talk of that sort of changing into anything else because I know like when Russell T Davis brought the series back, they were like, "Will kids even know what a phone, bo- what a police box is?"
1: Uh, I was trying to give it like uh, an organic feel that uh, the TARDIS was still the TARDIS, so it'd be recognizable, and uh, the control panel in the middle would be recognizable, but whatever rose out of the center would have a more organic feel to it, like it was some kind of biomechanical possibly partially alive thing that was and i was trying to keep it really white and and like blown out like we were in the last scenes of uh 2001 or something you know that kind of feel that was what i how i ended and it had the round things on the wall so yes yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) um okay so the big question then i guess is why did we never see this because from talk it's you it almost got made we got like a few episodes into production. there were storyboards there was scripts the artwork looks incredible but what what happened why did it just suddenly disappear
1: it was very straight we were going along really well and then we had a bbc executive come over to visit us and there was a person with that executive and what, what that person was from an animation studio in england and what I didn't realize was going on until we we didn't find out later is that this person was saying into the BBC executive's ear when we were listening is, oh, we could do it in Britain and we could do it better. Oh, wow. Okay. Over and over until they said, okay, we'll stop it and we'll go with you. They couldn't do it. And so they killed it. Basically whoever this industrial espionage idiot was killed the show because it would have been made if it wasn't for this silliness, right? So yeah, I mean, there were some weird things too at the at the time. BBC didn't want to pay for anything; they wanted basically us to make the show and bankroll the whole thing. Yeah, right. And it was like you wanted they wanted us to actually even pay to have it aired, oh. which was really weird. Like, <laughs> why, why would a company that makes a show pay the BBC to put it on the air, yeah. especially when they owned it? on yeah. the property it, it, there was a lot of these are things i always i always heard like at least secondhand because i was just an artist on it at the time right so it was all there was a lot of strange things whether this is these things are 100 true or not i couldn't tell you i know i know the part about the uh, animation studio per- person who came there telling her you yeah, know we can do this for cheaper, better in Britain. That part I know I'm going with my own eyes, but yeah. uh, anything else is just second-hand info, right? So It does seem
0: strange because it just seemed like, especially at the time, in like the mid-90s, that would have been something that a lot of people, I think, really would have enjoyed, and it seemed like uh, a sensible way to bring the show back, mm-hmm. you know, to sort of reinvent it. I suppose when it did come back, or when they tried to reboot with Paul McGann, they went for an overseas style, they took it to America, Um and it didn't sort of sort of work. It's a little bit, but um, it seems like that That was something that was quite a strange one. Yeah, yeah, it seems (laughs) like uh, that was something they were quite interested in. Is you know shipping it away and getting fresh eyes on it almost.
1: I think all of it, a lot of it was financial too, is to get somebody else to pay for it, basically, right? So. Does stuff uh, like
0: that happen a lot in that, in, in that side of the industry, then animation companies competing
1: with uh, each other just to see how they get the cheapest? Um, I think that's more of a thing from that time period than now. Yeah. Now Nowadays, a lot more people are willing to pay for new... because everyone wants content. Yeah. So you see things like the streaming companies as opposed to the traditional networks throwing all kinds of money out there to have new content because... Who has the best and most new content wins, right? So. Yeah. Um, but uh, sorry, go on. Hmm? No, okay.
0: Um, yeah. Ahead. So I, basically it is just I was just so interested because I've seen the concept out floating around online. It's been it's been really nice to talk to you. Is there anything else you remember from that time that you don't think a lot of people know about, or you know, some a little fun thing, a little exclusive I could I could take. <laughs>
1: Oh my goodness, it's been so long. Like we did, like I so said, we got like three, I think around three scripts into it. Yeah. It started boarding it for sure. And I started doing the designs for the first episode. Um that's about that's about all I can remember. Like I said, it is over 30 years ago now. So <laughs> I won't push you too much. It was before no. I was
0: born, if that makes you feel any worse about the whole thing. <laughs>
1: Like, I, I still work with the fellow who is the director of the show. Okay. His name's Ray Jophilus. And uh, someone got in touch with him a little while ago to ask him about the series. He couldn't remember a thing. So, because <laughs> it's been so long. And we didn't do that much before it got pulled out from under our, under our feet. And yeah. so, yeah, it's it's just... You know, like, but it's it's interesting. Like every few years, this comes back. It's like yeah. cicadas, right? They come, it comes out, and then people can meet, get in touch with me, and like oh, what about the Doctor who's stuff? It's like, wow, it's getting a long time ago now. Yeah, like any of the artwork that I may have is is filed away and packed away somewhere in the studio. I'd have to spend hours to find it. Right? Yeah. It's been so long.
0: Talking about like, I have just remembered the um the, the 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 drawing of the master with his robot arm and a parrot. And there's a lot of talk. I know mm. I mentioned a minute ago with Jeff Goldblum and stuff like that. But a lot of people claim that this guy looks a lot like Sean Connery. Um, was really again? Oh, there's, there's a bit. Oh
1: yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Sean Connery was always in my head for that. Yeah. That's cool. Was there any but, talk uh, of uh, these
0: uh, actors who maybe look slightly like the characters, voicing the actors, uh, voicing the characters? Sorry, did you ever get that far into it?
1: Yeah, we never got as far as the casting. No, so uh, I don't know if they could have they would have wanted to pay for it or not right so <laughs> uh yeah you know, especially in you know, there's so many rules about if you'd ever deal with actors unions yes yeah. and uh and uh you know tax credits and stuff it, it's really complicated so yeah and, uh, might have been able to do it back then probably couldn't do it now so. no yeah
0: so, I, rem- I remember reading about um samuel jackson who just one day opened a marvel comic and saw that they had drawn Nick Fury to look exactly like him. And then that eventually led to Logan. him starring in the role in the in the movies. So I wonder if if um, Sean Connery perhaps would have seen those sketches and those drawings and that artwork. you might have gone, ah, oh, maybe. We'll see about this.
1: <laughs> Logan, it'd be more like, more like what does it pay? Yeah. <laughs> and would be like, hey, we'll do that. <laughs> and, well, you know, if you ever seen any of the Alex Ross books, hmm? Like marvels. That uh, he's very realistic comic book. He does more paintings and drawings, but yeah. when in the book he did called marvels. It, Professor X was Patrick Stewart. Yeah, way before he was in the movies. Yeah, so maybe that's the same kind of deal, right? Where <laughs> he saw it and said, "Okay, I'll do that. Looks yeah. good."
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, more so. about yourself. Then what came after this? So. Doctor Who, you were a fan. It suddenly oh. got pulled away from you. What did you go on to work on next? Because you, I think you, did you say that Star Wars came, the Star Wars stuff came before this?
1: Oh, it was before that, yeah. yeah. I was in, uh, I was a production designer for eight years, yeah. working on various shows. I even worked on Rupert, you know, Rupert the Bearer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then after that, I went on to directing and storyboarding and stuff. And so I worked on things like The Magic School Bus and, uh, Other shows, a lot of them, Mike the Night, I don't know if you've heard of that one, that was for Britain, we made that for BBC. Um, Currently I direct uh, Paw Patrol, which is all (laughs) over the planet.
0: Yeah, even I know what it is, I'm way out of that target audience, but I know what it is.
1: Well, it's nice to know, know that you know it's a show that everyone's heard of. so it's like, oh yeah, that's a good one. yeah, but I've been on that for um I've been on that for uh, six seasons now Wow and it's keep it it keeps going. so I'll be directing that for a little while longer, I think
0: yeah
1: and that'll hopefully get me to the end of my career <laughs> but because uh, I'm like I'm almost sixty now, so I've been in the business for quite a while for like 38 years yeah so, yeah cartoons as hell.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. I, hope, I hope you don't mind me asking I'm a I'm a film student at university and I would love to like the goal is to direct but I've only ever really done live action stuff um or documentary work what how different is it from doing that to then doing cartoons like animation because it's not so much camera work as Knowing the lenses, knowing the cameras, how do you have any advice or anything that you think you can say about that?
1: Well, I'll say that the lenses and the cameras in 3D animation are the same. Okay. So, but, but uh, you know, I have a whole crew, right? I have, uh, but um, working in animation is different. There's no going out and shooting and editing. I, I have to make the thing down to the frame from day one. There's no going back to redo things as much, right? Yeah. So we have a process where we move in television animation, which is a basically a snowball going downhill. You can't stop it; it has to go from here and finish, right? So we start with the script and move on to the storyboard and go, go through every different stage of the process from previous layout. Uh, there's assets; everything that's on screen has to be built. There's uh, previous to layout and all the scenes, every scene has to be laid out. Every scene has to be animated, you know, blocked out, animated. Then we go through different processes of, uh, compositing and rendering and all these different stages all the way to the end. Yeah. So in some ways animation is really more, way more labor intensive because like I said, we make the film down to the frame and, uh, everything you see on screen has to be created by somebody.
0: Yeah.
1: So it's, uh, it's, it's a fairly, it's more laborious process. Uh, but the, the language is the same. Uh, you know, if there's 2D animation versus 3D where there are different constraints. There are, depending on program and also depending on 2D is, is a different thing than 3D, right? Uh, 3D is closer to live action because it's like you have to build your sets, all that kind of thing. And you have cameras that you move. Yeah. Uh in some ways it's more versatile because my camera can fly anywhere with whatever's happening. Yeah. So, which is more like in, you'd see in like an action adventure show where, uh, you know, you can fly with Spider-Man through the buildings and everything as opposed to lockdown or real camera. That's on a tripod or a tripod or a track somewhere. So, uh, it's, uh, it's a different thing. Like it, It's a different language. It's a, there, there are things... and uh, Animation is an artificial image that someone had to construct. And so someone has to look at it and interpret it and know what you're looking at. With a live-action shot, that's something our eyes can t- interpret automatically. Yeah. The animation, you have to, your brain has to go through another step to figure out what I'm actually looking at. Right. So yeah. there's some cutting that has to be done in a certain way in animation that in, in uh, live action, you don't have to care about. Right. Yeah. So, so it's like if cutting in action has to always work with screen direction or whatever action you're following in characters, etc. as opposed to um, live action is like, we cut, we know exactly who we're looking at no matter where we cut. Right. In in a lot of ways, you can do it really wrong, but yeah. uh, but uh, you, it, it's a lot more forgiving because when we cut to this guy again, we still know it's that guy. Yeah. Right. But uh, if I if I have a guy run out of screen, a screen right, he can't come in from screen right the next shot. Right. I have to mm. have him follow through. Right. Now, yeah. If someone throws a ball; it can't can't cut and have it going the other way. <laughs> but in 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 live action, you sort of can. Yeah, but in in animation, if I want to get from here to here, I have to do an intermediate step of going here. I have to go neutral, right? Yeah. So there, there's a there's a lot of little things that are different, hmm. but it's uh, in 3D is a lot more similar because, you know, 2D is a lot of doing this, especially with today's digital medium. Go here to here, 3D I can still do this. Yeah. And then come come back from here, right? And uh, I could have something here and here right yeah and i can pull focus and i can do all all the real fun things i can do is all a shot you know something straight out of hitchcock i can do all that fun stuff in 3d yeah so it's, in some ways i like it now because 2d got more limiting with today's technology because people use things even more advanced 2d programs almost like flash it's just cutouts
0: yeah
1: But you do do this and then pop like this 3D. I can still do this, right?
0: Yeah. So, have you ever done any live action or like directed live action stuff? And um, how did you find that sort of only?
1: Small, only I've done like a. I did a video once for Disney for. Uh, there was like a combination animation live action. I've done. I've done like reference shoots and stuff, but I did one music video shoot. Yeah. Where I had to fly down to LA and do all that, and so. Had to deal with uh ad agencies, which is terrible. He <laughs> sees the world of so, like, commerce. Yeah, there's commercials, and commercial land is just oh my god. Ad agencies are just like they bring you the worst drawing that looks like their, their nephew drew it and said, This is what we want. They're like. I don't even know what I'm looking at. (laughs) It's one of those those situations where I have to run behind the set and draw like a whole bunch of panels, Xerox them off and hand them out to the whole staff say, okay, now we're ready to go, right? Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's a different thing. If If you want to direct an animation, you have to go through, you have to go to a school for animation. Yeah. Then you have to... Then it's almost like I would say it's like going working for McDonald's.
0: Yeah.
1: If you want to own a McDonald's franchise, they send you a place to to a place called Hamburger U. Yeah. And you're not allowed to own a franchise until you know how to make every dish that's on the menu. Okay. And that's the way that's the way I look at. It. If you're if you're in animation, you have to understand every step of the process, and you should work in several of those before you feel you can direct something. Yeah, because because uh, a lot of times if they take someone who hasn't done that and throw them into position, they're they're lost, right? Yeah. Because it's this huge thing that you have to get from here to here, and you have to be able to have an overview of all this. Yeah, in your head, and and keep the big picture in your mind as the thing is rolling from here to here. Yeah, instead of focusing on this here, because then it all backs up, right?
0: Yeah.
1: So, and in television, unlike a feature, you do not have unlimited time and money. Mm. And so you have to pick your battles like, uh, okay, these guys can be talking heads, setting up something here. We don't spend a lot of time and effort on that. And we get to the big, beautiful money shots. that are like important. We spend all our time on that, right? And then everyone talks about the end going, "Oh, that was great." Uh, you know, we would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for old man, whatever. <laughs> and uh, so you've got to, you've got to say, "Okay, this is what I want." You know, yeah. this is the thing I'm going to make. Or, or with me, it's like I think, "Okay, this is, could be really cool." So I'm going to make this thing really cool, and then I'll, at least I'll have that in in my episode. Right? Yeah. So, okay. so I still go by the the theory of. What I what I would have wanted to see on TV when I was a kid. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing I do. Yeah.
0: Awesome. One thing I um, I know we're going way off topic from what I originally what we originally planned to talk about, but um, one thing I've noticed is when we get imports of cartoons from Canada and America and the UK, there is often times where they will just fade to black and then fade straight back in. Obviously, where there seems to be more. Um, Advertising or breaks, more adverts um, overseas. How does that play into the storytelling? Because over here, we don't really have that problem. If you have a half-hour TV show, you get one advert bang in the middle of the fifteen, of the two 15 minutes.
1: Uh, it all depends on the uh, the show. Like on uh, on Paw Patrol, usually I just have one break. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, two, two breaks per rep, because there's two 11-minute apps and a 22 and so there is an, an one break, per each. Yeah. Like the client, uh, I think, uh, the client we uh, send the show to air on has a detector. So that as soon as it hits a black, it cuts to a commercial. Okay. So so it's basically an automatic thing for them. We have to deliver it in the format that they dictate. Yeah. So that's what they get. Once they send it overseas, I don't know what they do with it. Right. Yeah. What's really funny, though, is uh, when we send it to England, they dub the characters over with in with uh, kids with British accents. Yeah. So it's like it's being dubbed from English into English, <laughs> which is really weird. Yeah. When, when I was working on, you know, when I worked on Mike the Night, it was a co-pro between uh, Hit Entertainment, yeah. which is in England, and us. And uh, we would make the whole show, and then, uh, but we would animate it to the British actors' voices. Yeah. Then we'd have to go to post-production, like audio place, and dub it over in in Canadian English. It's like, what are we what are we doing? We're dubbing it from one from English to English. It's like it's not like that. No one would understand what's being said, right? Yeah. And uh, so that's weird. That is bizarre so. because
0: we don't really have that. You get we get a lot of import cartoons and kids, especially kids shows from America over here. And I, from, I'm just racking my brain back when I was a kid, and a lot of them they kept the American accents. I look at stuff like Arthur, um, mm-hmm. that was an arbor, which is which that's Canadian. The fact that's he was Canadian, Canadian. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and and the thing the thing is like even with Paw Patrols, like why bother? And when we did Mike the Night and it, we dubbed it into Canadian English, I'm like, why? Like, it's from, it's, it's, he's a knight who must obviously be from England. Yeah. (laughs) And then, and then later in later series, we had a bad baddie, a bad guy who was a bad English boy knight. He was British, but we left him British. We didn't change his voice. So I guess it's okay to be evil and British. But the good guys have to be. Good. I have no idea what that means, but <laughs> I don't. I don't make these decisions. So. No.
0: Uh, well, um, I'm slightly conscious that I've taken up quite a lot of your time. I really do appreciate you uh, talking to me so soon, as well. I really appreciate. It. Is there anything else that you've got coming up that you want to talk about? Anything exciting that's on the way?
1: Uh, well, I'm, I'm continuing on uh, Paw Patrol right now. Uh, we're getting close to the end of season eight, and we're. In production on season nine, so so Paw Patrol goes on for for quite a while. So I've been I've been lucky because a lot of people have to move around from studio to studio to studio and I've managed to be on shows that last a long time.
0: So. Yeah. That's one thing yeah. I seem to have learned from talking to various people now is especially stuff that gets cancelled, one of the reasons it seems to get cancelled is Whoever was championing it at a certain studio leaves that studio and goes to another one, and whoever gets their job doesn't want to make that show anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, a lot, a lot of times uh, they don't understand they're not making something no one wants to see yeah. until after it's too late, and then it doesn't get right? So yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's just a lot, lot of luck involved. Yeah, if you can, if, you, if the premise is something everyone likes. It continues, right? But if you're trying to, a lot of times when you're trying to create it by saying, "Well, this show had this and this and this and this, so if we make a show with these things in it, it must be a hit." They're like, "Mm, not always, no. Yeah. Yeah, because if uh, if focus groups worked, every show would be a hit. (laughs) Don't.
0: No. And there you have it, that was my interview with Charles. What an amazing guy. Charles, if you're still listening, if you're here, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time and thank you for answering my personal questions on the industry. It was really interesting to get a one-on-one conversation going with yourself about something that I'm really passionate about and I cannot thank you enough for your time. If this is your first time listening to us, thank you so much. we recently crossed 1,000 subscribers. And obviously the next milestone is 2,000. So if you've enjoyed this, we have other interviews with other people involved in Doctor Who. So do subscribe, do all the like and comment and stuff as well. All our socials, let us know what you thought because we absolutely love hearing from you guys. If you've got any suggestions of people you might think we want to talk to, anything interesting, leave them in the comments. Let's start talking.
1: Thanks very much, guys, and we'll see you again soon.